Hey there, listeners. We're just coming this week to give you another coronavirus quarantine bonus episode from our 2018 review of Dinesh D'Souza's The Big Lie, exposing the Nazi roots of the American left. Our favorite book review of all time. We have another two chapters for you this week, Chapter 3 and Chapter 4. We'll be back next week with an all-new, brand-new episode of our review of Triggered by Donald Trump Jr. Until then, if you want more of us, remember, you can go over to Twitter and find us at NYGBCPod, and also on Facebook at NYGBCPod. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. So you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. And in our final segment this week, we continue with the Neshesu's book, Chapter 3, entitled, Oops, I'm on the Wrong Page. It's titled, Oops, I'm on the Wrong Page. It might as uh, well be. It, and also, I should <laughs> Oops, have Oops, I've misunderstood everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's t- it's Mussolini's, Mussolini's Journey. journey. Yeah. Mussolini's Journey. Uh, my alternate title for this is, An Angry, Poorly Done Book Report on Mussolini. Uh, Mine that is, about- I've Missed the Point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we start off here with a. Oh, quote actually, from... I have another one. I have another one. Who yeah. could I be talking about? <laughs> he really That's tries to play that title. so much through this book. So much when yeah. he did the uh, in last chapter when he talked about the the philosopher of fascism, right, Gentile, yeah, yeah, yeah. who he'd already brought up, and then yeah. tries and pretend that you don't know who he's talking about. Yeah. It just. It's yeah, so well, I mean, we'll get into that. But I mean, the first thing we open with the Hayek quote, because why wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, is a Hayek quote of the conflict between the fascist or national socialist and the older socialist parties must be very largely regarded as the kind of conflict which is bound to arise between rival socialist factions from Friedrich Hayek, because why wouldn't it be? <laughs> um, it's like a libertarian wet dream. Um, <laughs> killing uh, poor people. So we start anyway. off, right? This, this yeah. whole chapter starts off, the, the idea of this chapter is Mussolini was really a socialist, fascism yeah. is socialism, it wasn't a big change for him to go from socialism Direct to line. fascism. Yeah, which, okay, I mean, we'll get into it, but like this is, yeah, it's, it's like the big reveal of Mussolini's yeah. past as a socialist, <laughs> which is exactly what I predicted would happen. Like two, yeah. two pages into this book, I was like, it's, he's going to talk about how Mussolini was a socialist. That's like 100% oh, yeah. where this is going. But it, I mean, it's really weird because he, like, he clearly thinks he's like a super talented writer for some kind of big <laughs> reveal by not saying the name of the guy he's talking about for the first, what is it, like a page and a half? But not only has this been hinted at elsewhere in the book, it's in the damn chapter title. You kind of lose the element of surprise when it's the first word you read, like in bold on the page, like Mussolini. Ooh, who could he possibly be talking about? Get the fuck out of here. Oh, anyways, 
It's uh, bad. So it's bad. It's very bad. It's very bad. Like it's and it's lazy too, right? Mm-hmm. He continually throughout this book, and we dealt with this a lot more in the last chapter. It's in this one, but not as much. Uh, he'll take some aspect of Nazism or fascism and just make a bland, overgeneralized, and oftentimes just like absolutely out of nowhere comparison to the modern progressive left or just the left in general or the Democratic Party. And he does that throughout here. I have a couple points where I, I write it down where he did it, but. Uh, we start off, like you said, he's trying to lead us into who is this we're talking about? Who is this socialist who became a fascist? And then I'm paying to all oh, shit, Mussolini. Yeah. I read that already. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, so he's literally, it's a page and a half in, and then it's like, who then was this man? He was the future <laughs> leader of fascist Italy, the one who Italians called Il Duce. Even then he gives him his fucking nickname as if it's like a lead up to it. <laughs> Benito Mussolini. Like, fuck oh, like, God, that only works in an audio format, Dinesh. Not, it, yeah. it, it doesn't work in a Because I can see it. It's in the, also, the way it's laid out, like Benito yeah. Mussolini really stands out on the page. Because <laughs> it's like, you know when it's like a two-line paragraph, and it's like, oh, my mm. eye is naturally dry. Oh, no, I've spoiled his surprise. <laughs> oh, get a better editor, Dinesh. Uh, but oh, we yeah, start we'll off in this chapter. We'll definitely we st- get onto that. <laughs> we start with uh, Mussolini's history and how he started out as a socialist, right? Mm. His career as a writer, editor, organizer, uh, exiled to Switzerland and then collaborated with the Italian Socialist Party, uh, uh-huh. doing all this work until he finally came back to Italy and was organizing workers' strikes and all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, we kind of talk about... Um, it talks about the formation of the uh, Fasci di Combattimento, which it, it, Dinesh is translated as fascist combat squad. It doesn't really mean that. Fasci is like, uh, it, it's like the, the, the Roman Fasces. So it's like, mm-hmm. um, it's like a combat stick is, is what that means. Literally, it's not fascist combat squad. <laughs> like it's it's the it's the axe and sticks that are like stronger as one. So it means like combat group, I guess. But yeah. like, it, I, I mean, you could be like, yeah, it means fascist yeah, now, but like, that's not what the idea was. Like, it's the like unity through uh, strength through unity stuff we were talking about last week is is what the implication of that is. But anyway, yeah. whatever. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and you were talking about him. Well, it, it also goes on to say that that. Uh, Lenin, <laughs> even after the fascist stuff, congratulated him and continued to uh, view him as a, a revolutionary socialist, which uh, isn't footnoted, surprisingly. Yeah. You know, there's just wild assertion. And, you know, I'm not one I, I to, tried like, to you have to that. footnote every fact. Mm-hmm. Like, it's fine. Like, you know, it's a, it's a popular history book. You know, you can't possibly expect someone like Dinesh who turns out a book in a week to, to footnote every reference that he makes that's fine but I just like I, I feel like if you're gonna like a big thing like that it should really be footnoted sorry yeah, that's yeah. just the master's well, student in me <laughs> I tried to look into that and mm-hmm. I found the, of course the places I found things like that were conservapedia and yeah, places yeah. like that I couldn't really find any information that any, on that anywhere else other than articles that were dragging the left 
uh-huh. or dragging socialism. So I don't know on that one, but I couldn't find anything particularly having to do with that. But uh, yeah. so we start off in this chapter, right? We said talking about Mussolini's history. Uh, we get to where he is kicked out of the Socialist Party. Yeah, and I like I like the way we kind of he kind of skips over that, like, and he was like, oh yeah, that's you know inevitable, like as if that's some kind of minor detail. <laughs> the story of this chapter is literally the fact that Dinesh is claiming that Mussolini claims he's still a socialist, as if that means anything. Like, I can claim to be a centrist; it doesn't make it true. I'm not a centrist. <laughs> Just me saying, oh, you know how I'm a centrist? That I'm, doesn't make me a centrist. He he was literally kicked out of the party for his militaristic tendencies for supporting World War One, which is like a big step towards fascism. Like, yeah, the when Blair famously don't like, they don't enjoy uh, imperialism and conflict between imperial powers. And this is all like five years before the foundation of the fascist party that we're introduced to in this chapter. He's kicked out of the fucking socialist party for being too militaristic, which is a big part of what fascism is about. And Dinesh is just like, oh yeah, you know, differences on the left are inevitable. Of course he was kicked out. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Yeah, this is like- basic. If Blair White claims to be the true feminist, that doesn't make her a feminist, okay? That's true. That's true. Not necessarily. <laughs> so anyway, I don't there's really a little know pl- who Blair White is, but that's okay. Oh man, you need to dig through that's YouTube. That's okay. A Let's, deeper. Deeper. Let's not do it. Let's not do it. I tried to more YouTube time. Uh, yeah. But anyway, we get a little plug in here when he's talking about Mussolini about how Mussolini, as a you know, of course, uh, a loyal socialist, rejected mm-hmm. religion. His his original religion of Catholicism, because of course, not only were they commies, they're atheist commies, mm. which is the worst part of all of this to Dinesh, because all morality comes from religion to Dinesh. So he says, from the point of view of the progressive narrative, a narrative that I began to challenge in the previous <laughs> chapter, <laughs> fuck are you talking about? How Mussolini's, did you fucking challenge that? Yeah, Mussolini's shift from Marxian socialism to fascism must come as a huge surprise no, it doesn't. Literally everyone left of centre knows Mussolini was a socialist. Like it, It's literally used as a warning tale of this is what the fuck you don't do. This is how you become a reactionary who is not achieving socialist goals. And the implication that this comes as a shock to anyone like who's an actual socialist other than Dinesh is a huge clue as to this man's <laughs> intellect. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's just really lazy. It's so lazy. What yeah. He constantly does this, like I said, comparing things without any grounds. He Like, yeah. oh, look. This person said people need to work together. That's just like mm-hmm. how Mussolini said the state needs to be the dominant force in all of society, right? Mm-hmm. It's so ridiculous, these stupid, baseless comparisons. And he never, mm-hmm. he never addresses basic issues, right? Like how the black shirts attacked socialists in the countryside. He doesn't mm-hmm. deal with shit like that. He leaves yeah. it out because it's against his narrative. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's kind of interesting because he goes, I mean, there is, there is a, a whisper of a point here somewhere. <laughs> um, that he says, uh, basically... A death he, gargle he, of a point. Well, exactly, yeah. He, he he tries to imply that uh, socialism and fascism have a common origin, but and, and they kind of do, but not in the way that he's saying. So fascism didn't spring fully formed from socialism, like mm-hmm. some kind of evolution, which is what he's implying. Yeah. But they do have a coron- common origin in like a precursor to both of them, which is the anti-establishment politics of like this shit isn't working anymore and we have no money and we demand that something gives because we are poor and hungry and this isn't going to be okay for any more time because we're just we've just got out of a war and millions of us died and something needs to change that's their common origin story mm-hmm. nothing else it's not like oh. socialism's the root of this being fed up with shitty conditions is the root of it and we see populist forces in action just like we're seeing again now like there might be a path of least resistance and you may end 
end up taking in a number of the same people under your wing if you go socialism or fascism like people are gullible they'll go either way but the actual ideologies themselves are very different like desperation can make for very strange bedfellows yeah it's, it's the bernie boat bernie bro trump voter mm-hmm. that's who we're talking about but we will get into it later in this chapter where dinesh outlines the key difference for him between socialism and fascism and heads up it is something he said in the last chapter was not a key component of fascism. So it's beautiful. It, there's no common thread in this book. Like, other no, than like, na, 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 you are fascists. <laughs> like, it's It's weird. the convenient argument of the paragraph, right? Yeah, exactly. shit can change from paragraph to paragraph. So we're on to the exactly. next section of this chapter. Well, no, hold called... on. I mean, he, he also conveniently ignores Hitler's rise because it doesn't yeah. fit his paradigm and says like, oh, well, Hitler wasn't really a fascist. He was a national socialist. So we're going to focus on Mussolini because mm-hmm. Mussolini fits my profile of what yeah. i wanted yeah like if this were a college paper it would get torn to shreds because like what they teach you to do in college is be like okay take the most difficult argument and argue that one <laughs> rather than like this basic shit like let's focus on that, the socialist define your fucking terms yeah exactly. define that's, your fucking that's terms very true that's his very argument true. is basically for that where you're just saying hitler and mussolini were buddies so socialism Exactly. All right, let's move on from socialism to fascism. So his well, big that argument is the name here, of this. Next yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. Um, oh God! So how to return to the progressive <laughs> paradigm? Do progressives account for Mussolini's conversion from socialism to fascism, or more precisely, for Mussolini's sim- simultaneous embrace of both? Um, so Dinesh's big argument here is that hundreds of socialists became fascists, which. Like I said, maybe that's true. Like, we just went over because they are, like, largely revolutionary in their goals. They just want something to change, something to give. If one doesn't work, the other might. And some people are just desperate for change. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, do you know who else became fascist, though? Literally thousands of ordinary right-wing people. (laughs) Like, men of the church, for example, Mm -hmm. who supported fascist regimes. Like, normal right-wing people. Like, they won elections for a reason. Like, Hitler won the fucking elections. Like because yeah, people liked no, what they were yeah. saying it made them feel good about themselves it made them like have a nationalist pride and like let's not pretend this is a fucking isolated thing to the socialist side of things it's not i can tell you're upset by this chapter oh man this chapter made me so much. i could tell you're I'm... upset by this chapter because of the length of your notes <laughs> on this <laughs> fucking chapter notes. i had a long plane ride too so oh you like went deep it. i was you reading it deep. in disbelief Oh, God. So uh, I love this part because he actually writes, I will cite a few examples, and then which is just great. It's <laughs> like just 100% great. does not do that. <laughs> he just starts listing off people. He just starts li- listing off people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So-and-so yeah. Became, a, became a fascist. So-and-so mm-hmm. became a fascist. So-and-so became a fascist. Like, great. Yeah. That doesn't prove your argument that yeah, socialism and, like, and fascism are the, the same. All the leading figures in the founding of fascism were men of the yeah. left. Like, here is my extremely narrow focused definition of fascism before mm-hmm. it became what it really became. And my eye roll, my eyeballs have rolled out of my head, literally again. It happens mm-hmm. a lot when I'm reading Dinesh. Like I say, also, as we're going to get to, as we're going to get to in this chapter, he says what he thinks is the biggest difference between socialism and fascism. And it is a thing he said was not a component of fascism. Yeah. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll I'm, so to it. One, one I'm so thing, excited. One thing. I just, I, before we move on 
from this bit. He says, In England, Oswald Mosley, a Socialist and Labour Party member of Parliament, eventually broke with the Labour Party because he found it insufficiently radical. He later founded the British Union Fascists and became the country's leading Nazi sympathiser. Yeah, he did. That's true. That is 100% true. You know what else happened to Oswald Mosley? He was fought in the streets by Antifa <laughs> and left-wingers because he was a fascist and we don't like fascists. <laughs> the left was like, you know what? No, this guy's a fascist. We're going to fight his army, his private fucking army in London. And he was beaten so badly by Antifa (laughs) that fascism never took hold in England. You remember Antifa, (laughs) the people you said are the real fascists who stopped the rise of fascism in England. Well done, Dinesh. But again, we don't endorse punching fascists. Mm, Just laughing at them when there's videos of that happening posted on YouTube. That's what we endorse. Uh, so moving on into this section from socialism to fascism. Like I said, we have a whole bunch of people he lists who went from being socialist to being fascist. Of course, he, of course, like you said, ignores all the people who were either just normal right-wingers or right-wing intellectuals who became fascists, and they're out there. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I, I was just going to say, like, he says these people didn't jump, like... He says, what does he say? These men didn't switch from socialism to fascism. Rather, they became fascists in the same way that Russian socialists became Leninist Bolsheviks. Like, it may be an easy jump to make to adopt adopt a different populist platform, which is what we're saying. Like, even giving him the benefit of the doubt with that argument, like it's from one populist platform to another. But the point is, there's still a fucking jump. And they did have to break with their previous organisations to do so. Like, see Oswald Mosley getting the shit kicked out of him by left-wingers. Like, also, the point of this book is to claim the modern Democratic Party is fascist by claiming that socialism is fascism. Like, now, obviously, that relies, like, it relies on a big untruth in itself, but to claim the modern Democratic Party is anything approaching <laughs> socialist is extremely mm. funny to me. That's extremely yeah. funny. Yeah, I know. And his, his, big po- his bigger point in this subsection is, well, you know, there were socialists who called all the fascists, you know, not socialists, who didn't like them, who disagreed with them. But, you mm-hmm. know, arguing among, among different types of socialists is just inherent to being socialist, mm-hmm. right? As though yeah. arguing about ideology among members of an ideology isn't inherent to every ideology. Yeah, exactly. Also, or across Trump, groups of ideology. Trump used to be a Democrat. Right? So, like, previous political affiliation means literally nothing, even in Dinesh's world. And look, Um, look, here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. Let me just say, we haven't really touched on this much, but what the fuck does it matter if fascism or Nazism has components of socialism, right? Hitler may have liked his dogs. That doesn't mean that liking dogs makes you a Nazi. Exactly, exactly. Although, as we do know, uh, another book by, I don't remember who it was, did claim that veganism or vegetarianism made you more of a Nazi. Uh, I don't remember who that was. I think it was Jonah Goldberg. I think that was Jonah Goldberg's book. Really? Yes, I think he makes that claim in that book. He he tries to make, it's a tortured comparison. It's a tortured comparison, but he really tries to make the comparison between being vegan or being vegetarian and being a fucking Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, this is my favorite bit. Oh my God. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) I just remembered this. So he's talking about, um, basically he's talking about fighting on the left and how that, how he claims socialism split off into fascism, right? 
Mm-hmm. And he's giving examples of this. He says, vicious fights among socialists and leftist factions are a recognized feature of the history of socialism. In Russia, for example, there were bloody confrontations between the rival Bolsheviks and Mensheviks. Later, the Bolsheviks... Oh, I know, I know. I know what you're going to say. Later, <laughs> later, the Bolsheviks split into Leninists and Trotskyites, and Trotsky ended up dead on Lenin's orders. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Lenin, okay. who yeah, yeah, was hold on. dead... He is trying to say... For like 10 years. And so, also, Trotsky was much more similar to Lenin's version of socialism than, than Stalin was. What he I don't know. Well, is, was it like 10 or 20 years after Lenin's uh, death that Trotsky was killed? Uh, Trotsky was killed in like 1942. Like he fled to Mexico like a long ass time. It was yeah, like 15, yeah. 20 years. Anyway, he's trying to say dissension always happens in socialism. And he says the Bolsheviks split into Leninists and Trotskyites and Trotskyites ended up dead on Lenin's orders, right? So cancel this fucking podcast. Cancel it right now. <laughs> this shit is the most basic concept in USSR history. And if Dinesh doesn't know the difference between Lenin and Stalin, <laughs> then I have no more time to be lectured by him about the left. Who the fuck did the fact check for this book Trump <laughs> like what next Frederick Douglass's I Have a Dream speech. <laughs> fucking morons this chapter's making me so angry oh, I know I love it I love it I can always tell how angry you are by the number of fully capitalized words you put into a pair <laughs> into the notes it's so great Lenin and Stalin like it's so basic uh, I know I know he says Lenin killed Trotsky that is the best that is the best that's just no. it's it's plain bullshit it's so good uh anyway we got to move on we got to move on uh to the end of this this little subsection subsection here uh yeah. where basically he doesn't make any new arguments here he just says i am so smart i have done all this work and i am going to tell you now what the result of this are yeah, because he says, I am so fucking quote, smart. He says, and I quote, I have excavated this history from the densely scholarly <laughs> works of the leading historians of fascism. No, in no, order no, to no. put it in the reach of a general audience. No, you haven't. Nish. I think we both know. We both know that he did not do the work it takes to write a no. fucking a fucking uh, dissertation and do a survey of all the relevant literature on this topic. No, right no. In the last paragraph, <laughs> you thought Stalin was Lenin, so fuck you. He Lish. does what a lazy college student does the night before a paper is due. They pull a couple of books out of the library and flip through the chapters and steal as many quotes as they need to make it look like they did all the work. That's, That's what right. he fucking did. That's right. All That's right, so this next subsection uh, is entitled Crisis of Marxism, and I entitled it Curb Your Marxism. I thought was a better title. Uh, So he writes, he writes here. He actually, this is another thing. This is another fucking thing, just like the Lenin Trotsky thing we just talked about. Mm -hmm. He writes, quote, Marx, let us recall, did not call for the workers of the world to rise up and revolt against the bourgeoisie or capitalist class. Rather, he predicted that they would. And I just want to say, well, then what do you think the words working men of all countries unite mean? What do you think the words, the proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains, they have the world to win? The end of the Communist Manifesto. Just go to the last page of the Communist Manifesto. It's not encouragement. Yeah, manifesto is the fucking clue. Like the word manifesto. It's just like... What? No, 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 no. The Communist Manifesto, right, the last paragraph says, they openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. Dinesh, all you had to do was Google. The document you claim to know everything about because you claim to be an expert on Marxism, you didn't know the last fucking paragraph of. Jesus Christ! Yeah. My favorite bit of this chapter, possibly the whole book so far, is his, like, 
complete lack of self-awareness and i quote oh, yeah so he says it seems almost comic in retrospect that highly intelligent people took all this marxist rigmarole the unsupported <laughs> assumptions the highfalutin nonsense as gospel oh, dinesh oh, beautiful mirror so beautiful. mirror dinesh like <laughs> yeah oh we talked about the, i texted you because i peaked at chapter eight which is the chapter where he tells us how to denazify ourselves mm. uh and it is so beautiful because it is, it is exactly that. His solution for the denazification of the left is essentially fascism. It's so amazing. I can't wait till we get to it. I cannot okay. wait. I'm excited. It's beautiful. But yeah. uh, anyway. He, he goes on to say there were no signs of revolution in Germany or England, which is pushing it a bit. Like there were revolutions that were pretty brutally dealt with in the 1840s. Um, 1860s like there's no way to organize in a pre-digital world but yeah Marx was wrong about some stuff like that's not an indictment really like everybody's wrong about some stuff yeah. he's also it's like, no pretty, shit like, Marx was wrong so was Adam Smith so was Descartes so was Chairman Mao so was the whole fucking Bible people who wrote in the past got a lot of shit wrong people who write now get a lot of shit wrong I'm reading yeah. this book yeah that's true <laughs> yeah and he, he well, let's see what he says he says something on page 73 that i was I, like i just i didn't even make a note i was yes, just like look yes. at page 73 it's the professional protester lie from the yeah, like the 1910s yes, professional revolutionaries so he says uh no revolution has ever taken place that's proletarian in any intelligible sense of the term and it's always led by professional revolutionaries like Okay. Okay. I'm not so sure I get, what that means. Yeah. If you um, leave your job, your farm, and start fighting and living entirely off of the loot you gain as a fighter, I guess you're a professional revolutionary. Yeah. But what does that have to do with his but fucking? Like, it, what does that have to do with There's anything? no meaningful proletarian revolution. It's ridiculous. Like there are literally people marching in the streets all over the world until the like the like the early to mid 20th century because they don't have fucking bread. Like, how do you get more proletarian? Like, people who are so poor that they don't have bread. Like, oh. they may have had leaders drawn from the intelligentsia, but, like, you need people to follow because, like, you need... You, sorry, you need people to follow those leaders because, like, the intelligentsia is real small. Like, yeah. you're not... Like, the Russian Revolution was fucking huge. Like... Well, that's the thing. is like, maybe in Dinesh's interpretation of Marx... Marx thought that the people would just spontaneously rise up without leaders or something. All at once, yeah. Bizarre. Yeah, when obviously that's not the case, right? I don't know if Marx no. thought that. Maybe he did, maybe not. But no, nothing ever happens without leaders. Because mm -hmm. if you have an army, you have to have somebody telling them what to do. Yeah. Oh, Christ. So yeah. he also, in this chapter, uh, mentions an individual named Karl Kautsky, K-A-U-T-S-K-Y, as a socialist uh, in the early socialist era before the Nazis rose uh, and this is part of his evidence for fascism being socialism. Now, this individual, Karl Kotsky, fled to Amsterdam during the Nazis. His wife died in Auschwitz, and his son spent seven years in Dachau. So, okay. socialism is fascism. Yeah, indeed. This indeed, is so indeed. fucking lazy. He also brings up another individual, Edward Bernstein, who argued against the protectionist policy of Germany and autarky, which are two components of fascism. Protectionism mm -hmm. and autarky. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. God. If you don't know what autarky means, that's, that means being self-sufficient, producing mm -hmm. everything that you need. Um, so, and, and right, another part of this, he's he keeps bringing up this thing, his idea that socialism inherently involves different groups of socialists arguing with each other. And I think by this point in the chapter, I realized that, yes, of course you don't have these kinds of intellectual disagreements on the right, Dinesh. 
because you are decidedly anti-intellectual. Because you don't want deep thought. You want words delivered to you from on high to tell you how to do everything. Possibly. I, I mean, the, <laughs> the interesting thing is up next, he says, uh, socialism then split into Leninism and National Socialism. <laughs> what? <laughs> Where have you pulled that from? Like, he's just bizarre. he's envisioning not an Leninism and Stalinism. Like, oh. not like, and, and also, I mean, he go, he like spends like a good deal of time, like criticizing Lenin, just I think as a knee jerk reaction, because Lenin is Lenin. Um mm. And he says, basically, Lenin argued, and, uh, you know, you can feel the, like, uh, disdain dripping from his writing. Yes. Um, you know, he actually managed to convey an emotion in his writing for once, which is quite impressive. I mean, it took <laughs> Lenin it took Lenin to do that, but, you know. So he says, and I quote, um, because basically Lenin argued that capitalism had exported its crisis via colonialism and imperialism to the third world. In other words, capitalists in the West were buying off their working classes by exploiting the poor in other countries. This, Lenin argued, was not something that Marx foresaw. Consequently, Lenin argued we should expect revolution not in the central metropolis of capitalism, which is Western Europe, but rather on the periphery. Um, dripping with disdain. Explain mm. to me why that's wrong. I don't see why that's wrong. I'm happy to wait I for mean, someone. Look, the reason, the reason I give for why communism came to Russia is that, you know, you don't have a bourgeois, a bourgeoisie in Russia, right? Mm-hmm. You have essentially a much larger split between the upper classes, the Russian royalty, and so on, and then mm-hmm. the lower classes because they never developed burgers. They never developed uh, a real middle class because of the way that Russia ran things. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you, I don't I don't think that point is wrong about about colonialism being a transference of the plight of the working class to other countries. Like well, he's mo- think, he's saying that mockingly, but I don't think it's wrong because I mean you could I think there's parallels export, between exploitation. You, but you can then export some of the worst conditions of your own working class and build them that up a true. bit, so they don't have the the same. Um, struggles while people in other countries who are out of sight, out of mind, do have those struggles and are exploited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, I don't disagree. I don't know. Yeah, it's no, no. I'm, I, just, I would like. Points. I know. I would like Dinesh to explain why Lenin's wrong. Somebody needs to. Things, yeah. Somebody needs to take away Dinesh's sarcasm button. They just need yeah, to take that away from that's him. That's true. Uh, so the next part you wrote about in here was where he, uh, he talks about Lenin expecting the revolution to consume the state and the state withering away which oh yeah very yeah. rightly pointed out is what dinesh wants yeah exactly it's the roots of the american right come from lenin i'm gonna write that book <laughs> and make all the money in the world oh it's gonna be great we need to write it we need to write it we need to work on this yeah. together we'll make a billion dollars the law great. school will be paid for it'll all be great it'll all be great <laughs> yeah and also he was like oh yeah lenin created the autocratic soviet union like lenin died before there was much of a soviet union mm-hmm. like certainly the one d'souza is talking about which is like stalinist soviet union and lenin was literally like maybe don't let stalin run things when i die because <laughs> he doesn't seem good no so. <laughs> uh you saw the death of stalin recently i remember i did it was good yeah yeah mm-hmm. anyway uh the last thing in this subsection he wrote about mussolini uh, after spending this whole chapter comparing socialism and fascism, saying they're the same, saying that he would come to very different conclusions than Lenin and envision a different type of socialist future. And yeah. in this next subsection, actually in this, not in this next one, the one after this, we're going to get to what that difference is mm-hmm. and how beautiful it is when we've already been through the last chapter. So this ne- next subsection is called A Myth of Revolutionary Violence. 
Yeah, and it, it's basically um, he's having a go at various people being like, oh, it's all manufactured outrage. Um, and, you know, conscious, and, and he's saying, oh, Black Lives Matter do a thing called consciousness raising and, you know, making people aware of the tragedies going on around the country and no one would care if they weren't doing these things like consciousness raising is not a bad thing like Dinesh wants you to be ignorant of the abuses (laughs) of power that go on around you like it's like very like that's very 1984 like you shouldn't question the state the state's doing the best it can for you like oh and Dinesh brings up one of his favorite boogeymen here Saul Alinsky baby oh yeah he writes here the new left in the 1960s was obsessed with consciousness raising Saul Alinsky, a mentor to Obama and Hillary. I should mention Barack Obama was 11 when Saul Alinsky died. Ah, uh, yes, a famous uh, mentor. Devoted a I'm large part of Kenya his training seminars to consciousness. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> how, how could he overlook that? How could Dinesh overlook his own argument about Obama yeah. being from Kenya? Yeah. Oh, God damn it. Anyway, we move on. Uh, and the, the, this oh, also, is a, there's literally no connection between any of this and the modern Democratic Party. It's like mm-hmm. it's laughable. This is all taken from a time of upheaval when violent revolutionary so- socialism was like a real possibility at the beginning of the 20th century, which is nothing like the environment today at the moment. Yeah, and this subsection here is so disconnected from the rest of the chapter. It's again, it's sort of like editor, get an editor, Dinesh. That's yeah. what you need to do. Uh, but so let's just move on to the next subsection which is called It's an, it's the Nation, Stupid. Yep. Uh, and this is where we get the part I liked the best about this chapter. Okay. Uh, and so you remember last chapter, chapter two, when he said nationalism was not part of fascism? Yeah. Pepperidge Farm remembers. In this chapter, he's going to tell us that the main difference between socialism and fascism is fucking nationalism. Yeah. Also, like, tricking the working class with false notions of patriotism is literally part of the definition of fascism. Like, that, like, very... And, and like, that is literally the opposite of the definition of socialism. Like, socialism is internationalist. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And he's going to be like, oh, it's national socialism. Well, that's a different fucking thing then, isn't it? It's not the same thing. Oh God, this is so beautiful! It's so beautiful. Yeah. He also, he also, also brings Italy up his... was about fifty years old at this point. Like talking mm-hmm. about like oh nationalism, like Italy had not been around all that long. Yeah, and you cannot change concepts so fundamentally and still pretend it's the same thing. Like very much nationalistic. Mm-hmm. So what he's talking about in this subsection is how Mussolini supposedly started to realize that rather than focusing on class struggle, nationalism. Mm-hmm was much more important to mobilize people and get them fighting yeah, for the cause. Yeah, he says there weren't, there weren't many class differences in, in Italy, and yet we're still trying to pretend this is still somehow socialist, despite it being not class-based mm-hmm. at all. And that's, like, like the whole the, point. The essence of socialism. Yeah, exactly. It's a fucking class struggle. Like, that's literally the communist manifesto. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So he, and he and you've writes written it, it. You've written it. Yeah, yeah. He writes it here about ethnic fucking nationalism. Ethnic nationalism. The thing he said in the last chapter, again, was not a part of fucking fascism because yeah. he wanted to say that Donald Trump, even if there's racist shit going on, even if there's racists in the Republican Party, that can't be fascist because that's not a part of fascism. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Pay attention to what you wrote 10 pages ago. Exactly. They're nationalists, not socialists. Like, the two aren't that compatible. What you're saying is Mussolini changed his mind. Like, Mm -hmm. you're not saying Mussolini is still a socialist. You're saying Mussolini is no longer a socialist. Like, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what this means. 
Yeah. Anyway. And so we get into the last subsection of this chapter. We have been we've been blasting through this chapter because it really is just really fucking it's worthless. It's real it's dumb. like I said, it's like a book report. It's basic facts about fascism, broad generalizations, and trying to compare that to the modern. Like a lot of it Democratic is just Party naming or... people. Like there's at really? least like fifty names in here that just aren't yeah. expanded on at all. It's very weird. And at this point we it's like we get it. Yeah, Mussolini was a socialist. Great. So do you have an argument, Dinesh? He no. has not presented one yet. He has not presented one other than that nationalism is the key concept of fascism that d- d- divides it from socialism. Anyway, in this last subsection, the fascist synthesis. Synthesis. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is, this is one of the weirder bits. Like he, so he says, let me find the quote because I was like, I had to oh. read it twice. Yes, yes, yes. I know exactly As... what you're saying. I have the quote. I have the quote. So he, what he's writing about here is how the modern progressives focus so much on race, right? Mm-hmm. Because we recognize that racism exists and we're trying to deal with what racism has done, right? That's yeah. why we care about race. But what he writes is, quote, Cornell West put it in the title of a book, Race Matters. Mussolini yeah. would not have agreed, but Waltman would have, as would any dedicated member of the Nazi party. So yeah, it's, not, says, look, it's not racism that matters. It's... No recognizing that race is a thing yeah so he says notice that from the outset german national socialism differed from differs from italian fascism in making race as opposed to national allegiance primary interestingly modern american progressivism is has also developed an obsession with race today if you propose removing racial categories from the census the strongest opposition is likely to come from the progressives who believe as as one of their number put it in the title of the book race matters so that's what you said yeah yeah it's extremely weird to try and draw that <laughs> parallel like that's very much unparalleled indeed it's like it's probably about as perpendicular a viewpoint <laughs> as can be like it's not like one race is superior it's like one race it's like is... it's it's like saying as the swiss and also most women would recognize chocolate matters right that's basically the fucking argument he's trying yeah. to make here <laughs> yeah it's very weird it's very weird. oh god anyway. and he, he, and he, throughout this chapter, he has brought up revolution like it's a mm-hmm. characteristic unique to socialism, right? Like socialists are the only ones who have ever sought a revolution. Like he forgot about a little thing we had called the American Revolution. Famously socialist revolution, famously. Yeah, famously socialist. They are normally they are normally left wing though, right? I mean, normally like well, I mean, well, yeah. We normally every, call right we normally call right wing ones coup d'état. Exactly, because usually it's just the fucking dictatorship taking over. Yeah. Uh, but you yeah, know that that's a that's a very good point that it usually is a progressive government trying to place like the American Revolution was remarkably progressive for its time, mm. right? It was very to the left. It was very liberal because most other countries in the world just operated under a king or a queen or some other sort of system like that, mm-hmm. uh, and so they were seeking democratic rule, which was not something that existed at the time. So. Um, yeah. Anyway, this like summing up bit is very weird. I mean, to 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 put a not too fine a point on it, like my summing up of this chapter is like national socialism is not socialism; it's a different thing. Much like the Republican Party is not the same now as when it was founded, even though they're called the same thing, it doesn't mean the same thing. If I had to boil this whole chapter down to one thing, uh, one thing Dinesh is trying to get across: uh, Marxism minus class struggle plus nationalism equals fascism that's my equation for this chapter yeah i mean it's quite a simplified equation but but fine <laughs> I, I will take that as a as a as a summing out like, this whole chapter has been such a bizarre read like i read it on the plane like i said and i was 
like flabbergasted on it. It was like I was furiously typing to the point where people were looking at me weird. Like, <laughs> oh god. Anyways, that is it for chapter three of Dinesh D'Souza's book, The Big Lie. I do want to say though, off of the last page, the last thing I want to say uh, is this fantastic quote he put at the end of the chapter. Although today's American left dares not invoke Mussolini's name, the honest among them will have to admit that it was he and his fellow fascists who were their pioneers and paved the way. So I guess we're the dishonest left who are not admitting that we follow in the footsteps of fucking Mussolini. Can't wait for the next chapter, A Democratic Party Secret. Oh, that's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. So make sure to check in next week when we get to chapter four. And in the final segment this week, chapter four of Dinesh D'Souza's book, The Big Lie, Exposing the Nazi Roots of the American Left. And Benedict, before we start, what was your overall impression of this chapter? Um, it's not good. No. Uh, <laughs> it's, I think the, and I don't say this lightly, the worst chapter of the book so far. Really? I mean, yeah, so far, yeah, so far, definitely, because I have peeked ahead yeah. and there is worse to come. There is definitely uh, I'm worse sure, to come. No, no, I'm sure there is. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep everything fresh. Yeah. So I'm not reading too far ahead. I'm trying to keep it chapter by chapter. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those ones that it's like, I don't know. He, he seems to hold surprise viewpoints that I wouldn't expect him to hold. Oh yeah. No, we'll get into I, it. I think, I think, I think the only reason he does is to make his point. But I think if you asked him on the street, whether he holds those viewpoints, you know, I think he might wish the South did win the Civil War. Like, but, the, at know. the end of this chapter, I, like, I was reading it and I went, Dinesh, what, that's what we've been trying to tell you, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's what it made me do. <laughs> what? What? Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's anyway. Right. Did you just convince yourself that we were right? Is that, what? It's so great. We'll get to yeah. it. But anyway. So, uh, so what's, your, what's your alternative? My question? alternative title is uh, Andrew Jackson was a Democrat written on the wall in his own poo. That is basically, okay. that, that's the, the gist of this chapter. Because ostensibly it's about Adolf Hitler, but then it goes back to Andrew Jackson. He can't really decide what he wanted to write about in this chapter. Um, this chapter is called A Democratic Party Secret, and ostensibly what he's trying to prove here is that uh, concentration camps... Well, hold on. Can I, can I do my, can I do my alternative yes. chapter title, yeah. too? So my alternative chapter title is American History Began in 1812 and Ended in 1861. <laughs> Very good. That is my... <laughs> Very good. Um, so this chapter is called uh, A Democratic Party Secret, and ostensibly what he's trying to do here is prove that concentration camps and slave plantations are the same, and that Mm -hmm. Hitler's policy of going after the Jews was the same as Indian removal, and, colon, all of that was Democrats' fault. Right? That's that's the point. All of that was Democrats' fault. That is the point of this chapter. Yeah, it's not good. No. It's not good. Okay, so we open with a bad advertisement pitch. Yes. Pretty much. (laughs) Picture the scene. Hitler's sitting in Landsberg Prison. And he has a big idea. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a shitty advert for a bad beer. No, this this whole look this this beginning part of the chapter, right? I was worried about the way he's writing it because it seems like yeah. he's he's writing it like 
Hitler's just, the, oh, you know, it's like Jean Valjean in prison in France. He's <laughs> sitting there thinking about why he's there. You know, so you're sitting in a German prison thinking to yourself, there has to be a vetavay. Right? <laughs> That's the tone. That is the yeah. tone of the beginning yeah, no, of this chapter. Is. And it's like, and it's like, oh well, Hitler had done nothing wrong to this place. <laughs> so why was he in prison, Dinesh? <laughs> why was he in prison for the beer hall putsch? If you didn't know, which was an attempted coup a year earlier. Let's not pretend he didn't have some form of plan sketched uh, out before. So he's sitting there. He's he's yeah. talking about Hitler sitting in prison, and he's, Hitler's thinking about his problems and his plans <laughs> for the future. And Dinesh writes, yeah. Hitler also had a domestic problem. The Jews. Yet Hitler's final oh. solution involving the extermination of the Jews would come much later. Uh, at this point, Hitler simply sought a way to deal with the roughly three quarters of a million Jews who lived in Germany at the time. It's like, oh. Dinesh, Dinesh, yeah. really, most people would write this beginning of the chapter to make it sound really dark and really evil. You're making it sound so much lighter than it, and the subject matter yeah. really is. Hitler also had a domestic problem. <laughs> His wife wouldn't do the dishes. Like, it's not, the, the, yeah, no. the Jews is a harder one. No, you want to think that. You want to rethink that, Dinesh. So, yeah, you want to rewrite that. Mm-hmm. So uh, he also starts in this part to point out how Hitler disliked America, right? And Dinesh's reason why he disliked America. Now, now of course, as we talked about throughout this whole book, uh, part of what he says is that the, uh, the Hitler and the fascists were, of course, socialists. That's one of his theses for this book. Uh, so mm-hmm. he points out a quote in here from Hitler's Table Talk, which also, unfortunate title. It does not sound as dark as it probably should be. But Hitler's Table Talk no, is a legitimate... It sounds like a sassy gossip column. <laughs> it's a legitimate publication of some of the private uh, speakings of Adolf Hitler recorded by his secretary. And uh, Dinesh quotes this part of Hitler's Table Talk where he says, My feelings against Americanism, he said in 1942, are feelings of hatred and deep repugnance. Why, he claimed, everything about the behavior of American society reveals that it's half Judaized and the other half negrified. Moreover, America is a country where everything is built on the dollar. So, to Dinesh, for Hitler, America represented the worst case of unrestricted Jewish capitalism. That is his point oh. there. Now, I w- That's a hell of a sentence to end a paragraph on. It very much is. I went in and I, I found Hitler's Table Talk. It's available as a PDF for free online. Uh, and I found where that comes up in the book... I'm going to read you the whole the whole quote in context, uh, and it starts with, It goes without saying that we have no affinities with the Japanese. They're too foreign to us by their way of living, by their culture. But my feelings against Americans are feelings of hatred and deep repugnance. I feel myself more akin to any European country, no matter which. Everything about the ha- behavior of American society reveals that it's half Judaized and half negrified. How can one expect a state like that to hold together? A state where 80% of the revenue is drained away for the public purse. A country where everything is built on the dollar. So I don't know if I'm reading this wrong, but that sounds like Hitler that is saying like taxes are too high. Public spending. That yeah. sounds like he's saying taxes are too high, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Oh God. Anyway, uh, just one. I got to point out whenever Dinesh does his picking and choosing to try and make his points. But uh, we move on from that. I'm glad you didn't. 
I'm glad you didn't finish that because I don't want to paint. Oh, Britain the in the, bad the last sentence where he said, like, "From this point of view, I consider the British state very much superior." You know, bad guys can be right sometimes. Well, you know, he did kind of like the British. You know, you know that's a whole no, thing. Well, he did. Yeah, he thing. didn't actually want to go to war with the British. No, no, but that was he. And the British yeah, reportedly were treated much better when they were captured than uh, most of the other mm. countries they were at war with. That's not to say they were treated yeah. necessarily well, but they were treated better. No. Also. I, I would just point out, that's a quote from 1942 about America where he says he hates them because, you know, they just declared war yeah. on <laughs> Germany, which they're probably not in his best books. No, that's definitely at true. At that point. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Karen. So he carries on. I, I, also, also, I, I, <laughs> I, I wrote here and I think I was wrong, actually, but I said I can already tell we're going to have the Civil War jump through hoops at <laughs> Dinesh's narrative here. Well, which I maybe I was wrong. He on. didn't talk about the Civil War much. He didn't really touch on it. In Not this really. chapter. I think he will later. Not really. I definitely think he maybe, has to maybe. at some point to make his point, but uh, yeah. not yet. So, yeah, the, the other thing is, again, Dinesh weirdly pr- paraphrases here. Like I and I feel like some of these should be in quotes to avoid it's like what Dinesh thinks. So at some point he says, uh, "Who wants to rule a bunch of black and brown people?" Uh, <laughs> um, which you know is not in quotes. So I can only assume that's what Dinesh really thinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's look. This chapter has some moments where you go, "What the fuck, Dinesh?" And some other moments where you go, "What the fuck, Dinesh?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's one of those. There's, <laughs> there's one of those later. So we move in here, and he's talking about Hitler as a boy and how Hitler loved his cowboy novels. And there was uh, uh, the German version of Gone with the Wind that he loved and things like that. And yeah. he moves into talking about the idea of, of course, Lebensraum, which he compares to uh, the American westward expansion and Manifest Destiny. It's Manifest Destiny. It is. Yeah, it really is. Exactly. In this, so so Lebensraum, if for people that don't know, I assume everyone that's wise enough to listen to our podcast does know, is basically living room is is the direct translation, and it's room, more room for Germans to expand and live. It's German farmers basically to have more land to farm was the idea, and yeah, they needed to conquer European countries to do that, and they didn't. the The point that Dinesh is making is they didn't see the need to conquer beyond the continent that they were already on there was no point because that was full of what hitler saw as horrible black and brown people yeah yeah and so he gets into here the idea of social darwinism and of course dinesh is going to say that he of course labels it progressive social darwinism yeah you can't just put progressive in front of a bad thing and (laughs) pretend that means something what does that mean that's not how words work well to get okay i will give dinesh some credit, and I don't think Dinesh thought about it this much, but the social Darwinists of his day, some of the, uh, the you know scientific types who believed in social Darwinism were probably considered progressives because you got to remember progressive really is about being sort of technocratic and things like that. I know in the modern connotation we talk about it moving forward and uh, being forward-looking, but really it co- the early progressives were about being technocratic and being all into science. And so a lot of people overextended Darwinism into this social Darwinism where the weak, uh, uh, the, the strong eat the weak or whatever the situation may be. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I don't think yeah, Dinesh thought about it that much. I really don't. No. Uh, so he, in this part, he, the end of this section, this first section of the chapter, he gets into sort of concentrate, he gets to the idea that we're going to talk about in the next section, which is concentration camps. 
and sort of the beginning history of them. He talks about how uh, the British did it to the Boers in South Africa. Which we did. Yeah. That's true. We did do that. We invented the mm-hmm. the, comment, the concept of concentration. Yeah, that's, that's where the word that's, came from. That's yeah. something we invented. Yeah, and then the Boers did it to the black South Africans. But I just got to say, what a worthless, boring fucking section this first section is. There's no new information yeah, presented he here. He talks about the Republicans in the 20th century, in the 19th century, and they didn't really exist in the 19th century for most of it. Like another boring oversight. Like, yeah. It's like a, it's such a boring thing to have to keep correcting them. <laughs> I know, I know. So we're going to start. Especially when he's not even listening. If you listen to this, <laughs> I would feel less bad about being like, you've got that wrong again. Yep. So in the next section, which is titled A Prehistory of Nazism, he starts getting into all this talk about Andrew Jackson, which he really should have avoided. Well, hold on. The, okay. A prehistory of Nazism. This is the first sentence. Let's draw out the implications of this. Sorry, the first two sentences, because that was the first sentence. Yes. And that didn't really yes. get us anywhere. First, the left loves to portray Hitler as a right winger, but notice how he allies himself completely with pro-slavery and Indian removal policies of the Democratic Party. Ah, yes, the left wing policies of Indian removal and (laughs) slavery. Those are those famous left wing. Just because it happened under the Democratic Party does not make it left wing. This is simple. Yeah. No, and, exactly. Yeah, as you say, Andrew Jackson was literally the role model for Trump during the campaign, and they repeatedly said that you unlettered fool. Mm-hmm. Oh, and oh yes, uh, famous beloved president John C. Calhoun. Uh, he was never who, John C. Calhoun know, was never a president. No, no I, that's true. I, that's what I'm saying. It, you know, nobody. He, his only other example is a guy who didn't even become president. Well, okay, so what he says, let's be clear. He says, clearly Hitler would be far more at home with Democratic President Andrew Jackson or Democratic Senator John C. Calhoun than he would be with, say, Abraham Lincoln. And John C. Calhoun is, is a relatively famous American political figure. Let me just say. Just, yeah, I know you probably racist. don't know that, but yeah, yeah. I know, he's the Karl Marx of uh, the Karl... He's, <laughs> basically, he argued that capitalism... No, he argued that capitalism was a form of slavery in itself. That's his big argument. So... Uh, you know, th- there's a book called The American Political Tradi- Tradition that calls him the Karl Marx of racism. I, I or the Karl Marx of um, Karl Marx of slavery or something. Sure, it's a good book. I don't know. I'm not that all well, no, into John b- b- C. Calhoun. Because, if Benedict's wrong, well, no, because, somebody correct him on Twitter. No, no, that's true. Because his basically his argument was northerners are all slaves anyway because they're slaves to the system so what's different about our slavery system really when you think about it well as i remember john c calhoun basically said that uh slavery wasn't like it wasn't a a necessary evil it was actually a good thing and that slaves benefited from it as well as the owners right that was what i remember from john c calhoun uh but anyway back to the book uh the point that dinesh is trying to make in this subsection He says, quote, in this chapter, I take some of the signature concepts of Nazism, Lebensraum, concentration camps, and genocide, and show that they had an application in the U.S. long before they were applied in Nazi Germany. So in this chapter, he's going to make the argument that the U.S. had been around before Nazi Germany. That's essentially it. One sec, sorry. John C. Calhoun, The Marks of the Masterclass. Oh. This is from uh, Richard Hofstadter's book, The American Political Okay, I believe you. So I I just want to quote, just so people know. 
It would be well for those interested to reflect whether there now exists or ever has existed a wealthy and civilized community in which one portion did not live on the labor of another, and whether the form in which slavery exists in the South is not but one modification of this universal condition. Let those who are interested remember that labor is the only source of wealth, and how small a portion of it in, an old, in all old and civilized countries, even the best governed, is left to those by whose labor wealth is created. So basically, he was trying to say that we're all slaves to somebody. Okay. All right. So uh, we get anyway, in. Anyway, sorry. Sorry <laughs> to bring actual intellectualism into yes, this podcast. Yeah. So we get in here, and here, Dinesh shows, again, the big fallacy he's working on and his main point. And he says, quote, and this is sort of him hedging his bets too, right? He says, mm-hmm. I realize that in making these comparisons, I risk stirring the indignation of even some conservatives who will say in their ritual fashion, are you comparing the United States to Nazi Germany? Actually, no. I am merely comparing the practices of the Democratic Party to those of the German Workers' National Socialist Party. The idea that America, let me finish, the idea that America <laughs> is responsible for Democratic Party atrocities <laughs> is part of the big lie I am trying to expose in this book. Nobody, nobody's saying that. Also, again, this all relies on this being the same Democratic Party that exists now. It's utter, like... It's so boring. It's really, really boring. It is, right? And it's I, such a boring We keep era. saying, holy shit, we're only on chapter three. We're only on chapter four. And it's yeah, the same and rehashed I, I think, bullshit. So, look, so, I mean, it's extremely confusing. Like, comparing what the Americans did to Native Americans is not particularly instructive in this case, I don't think. Um, also, I think, like I was just saying, there's only so much utility in saying the name of the party that used to do genocide and concentration camps and such. Because the point you're looking for is which base of supporters might vote for it now. And I think the answer on that is <laughs> yeah. probably pretty, pretty clear. We had another uh, fucking without, Nazi march the other day in Georgia. To... There was another fucking yeah. Nazi march and yeah, Jeff Shoup. And I don't think any of them would have mm-hmm. voted Democrat. I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it, giving the number of MAGA hats they were wearing. I kind of yeah. doubt it. Also, I like that he talks about slavery in the Democratic South. That's a really fun <laughs> way of putting it. It's, it's just no intellectual honesty in this book at all. It, like, It's also not really comparable because, I mean, if anything, in terms of like, okay... I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> overreach on this one because obviously. Are you about to say the Holocaust terrible. wasn't that bad? Is that what you're going to say? No, 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 not at all. We're going to start in terms of like denial podcast next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. Um, but like American slavery, like went on for generations. Mm-hmm. Is the point I was about to make, and literally because of people. Oh yeah. Race. Oh yeah. Oh, and Dinesh so, is going to acknowledge that. He's going to acknowledge. Yeah. That. And the, it's. It's the part of this book where I went, God damn, G- Ganesh? Really? Ganesh. Ganesh. That's racist. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a Freudian slip. It was just merely the yeah. chewing tobacco throwing up the, no, throwing up the way I speak. He, uh, but, but actually, the, the one thing he, I think it's the first thing he's got right in this whole, like, it's, I, I wrote down, I think this is the first time he's got more than a hundred words without me having to be like, this is dumb and wrong. <laughs> well, and you had a lot less <laughs> uppercase type shouting I did. in this, well, this it's week. Well, this, the, the, this one just made me, like, sad. <laughs> because it's, it, it is such a weak argument. At least the other one is, like, he got creative with mm-hmm. it. But this one is just so weak. Um, well, when he's, you're talking he about got, the concentration... He got the, names of, he got the names of all the concentration extermination camps, right? Yeah. Um, so he, he got he got he got which ones were which right which yeah. I was impressed. Well, by. he wastes like two pages explaining that in concentration camps they were worked to death 
and in extermination camps, they were just killed. It's like, you could tell that from the name of the camp, concentration or extermination. You didn't need to waste all this time on something everyone knows. Although, yeah. there was that survey the other day that said something like 30% of Americans don't know what the Holocaust is. So, maybe, yeah, maybe he does it. understand his base. No. It, yeah, so I just want to read the last paragraph of this. So he said, once again, I'm not claiming that Andrew Jackson's labor's around. I love that he says Andrew Jackson's labor's around. <laughs> like, as it, you know, I know. Was identical. He, as you say, he should really try to avoid Andrew Jackson here because it, it's going to come back to bite him. Uh it was identical to Hitler's, only that the one was a foreshadowing and a partial inspiration for the other. I'm not saying that slave camps in the Democratic South were identical to German concentration camps, only that Democrats are capable of atrocities that bear a resemblance to Nazi atrocities, not so much against the Jews as against the Poles, the Slavs, and the Russians. I know the Nazis killed far more people than the Democrats did. It's also true that Nazi atrocities lasted for a dozen years, while democratic atrocities have been going on since the party was founded in 1828. So I think this is a point here where it's worth asking, and it, it bears, I think, the obvious question. If he's saying all of this started in 1828, it means he's avoiding the obvious question, which is, was Washington a fascist because he owned slaves? Mm -hmm. Was Jefferson? Yeah. No, it's a fair some point. Some people it's say fair yes point. to that. No, but I mean, some people would say yes to that. And I think that, you know, there's an argument for it. Um, we've talked about it in the past about whether you can judge people by modern standards and stuff. But if you're arguing that Andrew Jackson and democratic slave owners in the South were precursors to fascism for that reason, were the founding fathers the same? Mm -hmm. And I don't think Dinesh would answer that. Well, and I don't think da um, I don't think Dinesh would answer if you brought up the fact that all of these slave owners were fucking Christians. I don't yeah. think he would well, answer to that too. either. No, that's true. But I mean, he's very keen to only tar certain people with that brush. Yeah, exactly. So as long as they're a Democrat nominally, it's fine, and it doesn't matter what. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and you know, he's not tarring the Democratic <laughs> Republicans with that, which was Jefferson's party, mm -hmm. which ended up bearing the Democrats. Yeah. You know, yeah, or the Whigs, so, or the Whigs, many of whom owned slaved, uh, slaves. Yeah, and it was actually it was actually a much more um, it was much more dependent on where what part of the country you were from as to whether you supported slavery than what party you were in. Yeah, yeah. It was basically along it was basically along the fucking Mason Dixon line. Unsurprisingly, but all of this all was, this fucking argument doesn't matter because it, we always go back to Dinesh claiming that the Democrats are the same party now as they were then, which is the stupidest yeah. possible argument yeah. he could make. Yep, 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 uh, yep, so yep. we start the next subsection, which is titled The Fake Genocide and the Real One. And I was so, I was so hoping for Holocaust denial. I was uh, so yeah, hoping no, we'd get it, that it, here. It could have happened. It, it could definitely have happened. <laughs> it would have been so good. But we start off this subsection with Dinesh talking about the Musulman, uh, which was... Mm -hmm. uh, by some accounts, a name used for the people in concentration camps who would just sort of space out and and not really be uh, present. Uh, they were sort of emotionally and mentally destroyed by the experience. And he, interestingly, he brings up in this section uh, uh, a writer by the name of Bruno Bettelheim, who, funnily enough, I had read uh, two weeks ago for a completely different reason. I had I read, read some so. Bruno Bettelheim. He's a psychologist who was in a concentration camp for several years, and sort of as his own way of keeping himself from going insane, he observed mm -hmm. all the other prisoners that were in the camps with him. 
and tried to okay. and was constantly repeating his findings to himself and trying to keep himself sane in that way. And he had some really interesting observations. But uh, he uses that. So can I just read? Yeah. Sorry. I I just want to read this bit. So he says, to me, the Muslim man, which, as you say, is the, the zombified camp dweller, mm-hmm. um, is a tragic metaphor for what has happened here in America to the native Indians. I like that he says Indians. Uh, he, <laughs> Like, he hasn't bothered to say Native Americans. Um, Anyway, obviously, I don't mean that Native Indians are literally human zombies. Some of them are quite successful and fully assimilated into American life. What I mean, rather, is that as a community, the Indians seem to be an American version of Musulmana. They've lost their original moral personality and are still having difficulty replacing it with something else, which is like a weird version of the noble noble savage trope. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and like he seems absolutely disgusted by the once proud people that he's talking about like he wouldn't touch them with a barge pole yeah no but he's he's also it this is one of those points where i went what the fuck dinesh where it's like you seem to be understanding something that we've been trying to get across right which is that the native american culture has been destroyed by centuries of you know being forced onto reservations and and killed and all that sort of stuff, right? Which is a point that us on the left have been trying to make and that people on his side, the right, will just ignore. Uh, It's one for for the close but no potato Twitter account. Definitely (laughs) Definitely is. It's like he's on the verge. He's on the verge of a breakthrough here. He almost gets it. It's so close. So what he's writing about here, he's talking about uh, a individual named David Stannard, who is he calls him a left wing historian, uh, who wrote a book called American Holocaust about the history of Native Americans. And so Dinesh uses this to say, blah, blah, blah. David Stannard recognizes there was a Holocaust of the Native Americans. I'm going to use that to say that it's the same as the Holocaust in Europe. Um Mm-hmm. And he goes through this sort of weird chain of logic. We're saying, well, you know, it's not like most of the Native Americans were killed intentionally. It was mostly disease, right? And that's um, not intentional. And I was thinking, have you ever heard of smallpox blankets, Dinesh? Because that was kind of well, intentional. I mean, that that's true. But also, I've read Columbus's letters in Spanish. I did a whole module on uh-huh. it for once. This is useful. <laughs> and I've read... Uh, I've read Cortez's letters as they killed the Mexicans. And I mean, Columbus literally said they will make good slaves. Yeah. Which, you know, that's kind of genocide. Yeah. So, no, no. You know. Yeah. But he said, so he says. Yeah, he, I mean, he deliberately, he, he deliberately enslaved, massacred, and destroyed the way of life of the Native Americans. That's not intent. I don't know what is. Yeah. So what Dinesh is referring to with the fake genocide and the real one here, he is saying that the massive number of deaths, most of the deaths caused by disease and other such things, was not the genocide. That was the fake genocide. The real genocide was, as usual, according to Dinesh, caused by the Democrats, and it was the relocation, the Indian Wars, various other uh, massacres of Native Americans and things like that. That's the point he's trying to make here. Mm-hmm. Which look, uh, and I mean Jackson. Jackson did commit genocide. Yeah, but so did Columbus. Yeah, so now did stop a, using so it did, to make your shit. So did point. a number. You're not getting how this works. So did a number of Republican administrations after the Civil War. We'll get to that. We will get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next uh-huh. subsection is called "Dark when he finished killing them," which is pulled from which a letter. Is a heavy, <laughs> heavy subsection. Well, it's pulled from a letter that Andrew Jackson wrote to his wife after some battle. I don't remember which one. Um, But he starts off in this section. He's talking about Andrew Jackson. He's going back to Andrew Jackson. He will keep going back 
to Andrew Jackson and reminding us Andrew Jackson is a Democrat. And this is the part where we get to Dinesh. You really should have avoided that because are you forgetting that your party loves Andrew Jackson right now? They fucking love him because Donald Trump loves him and because one of your Fox News hosts wrote a pop history bullshit book about Andrew Jackson, which my father has read. (laughs) See that? And that was disturbing to me because I came home one weekend to visit my parents and my dad has that fucking Andrew Jackson book sitting there and I wanted to go fucking burn it so badly. (laughs) Like, dad, please, I will buy you books written by real historians. I will buy you real historian books books if you want them. Just stop reading this bullshit. He bought Bill O'Reilly's latest book after the fucking scandal and him getting fired. That's my that's my parents. That's funny. Also, uh, Laban's realm is manifest destiny, as we said, but Dinesh doesn't want to say that because that was Jefferson's No, thing. he just keeps calling it Laban's realm. Destiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, all that Jackson did is very bad, and we should acknowledge that. That's true. Yeah, which is what <laughs> he'll, he'll the be Democrats like, are the doing. The progressives won't acknowledge that. Like, nah. He, okay, he repeatedly says that the Democrats won't acknowledge this, the progressives won't acknowledge this, but we get to, in this chapter, a fantastic moment. A fantastic moment that is, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, but first, we gotta say, Dinesh's logic, right, is basically only Democrats were bad to Indians, were bad to slaves. Forget everything Republicans ever did, right? Forget Wounded Knee, which happened in 1890 under Republican President Benjamin Harrison. Forget the Washita Massacre in 1868 under Andrew Johnson. The Camp Grant Massacre in 1871, Ulysses S. Grant, all Republicans. Mm -hmm. So it's only Democrats, who are killing and displacing the Native Americans. That's that's the point. Mm-hmm. That's the point we're supposed to understand here. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, you make a very good point. There's also, uh, he goes on to say, more recently, scholars have found evidence. So this is, you know, evidence of democratic collusion mm-hmm. well into, into now. This is on page 103, if you're following along. Yep. Uh, more recently, scholars have found evidence that the Indian Health Service carried out a long-term strategy of sterilizing Native Indian women and in some cases took... took from them their children and put them up for adoption in white homes uh and he says in fact it continued through the 1970s remind me who was president in the 1970s <laughs> well uh there was one As, who went uh, by tricky dick R- republican tricky yep. dick nixon yes if i believe yes uh, that is true if i if i remember correctly yeah and there's an interesting anyway. so uh there is a a supreme court case it might might have been an appellate court case from last year, maybe the year before, where um, an Indian child, a Native American child, uh, was taken from his white uh, adoptive parents and given back to his Native American father because we have this legislation. I, I don't remember the name of it, but it's like the the uh, Native Children, uh, Native Family Act or something like that that is trying to keep Native American families together. Guess which party spearheaded that act? It was the Democrats. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, You know, yeah. Anyways, uh, so we move on and we get to now that point I was talking about. Uh, And and of course, he he says that all those people who were doing the sterilization were progressives because if in doubt, call any bureaucrat a progressive. But uh, we get to this point I was talking about where Dinesh backtracks on his own argument, right? He has repeatedly said that Democrats will not recognize anything bad Democrats have ever done, that we're not sorry Mm -hmm. for it, that we don't try and fix any of it. And he says, quote, Recently, progressives, breaking with Democrat historians who lionize Jackson, great, have demanded that Jackson's face be removed. I just, I love that Democrat historians part. Uh, Yeah. Demanded that Jackson's face be removed from the $20 bill. 
As we see throughout this book, normally progressives are the perpetrators, not the critics of mass killings. Uh, he goes on, he goes on for a little bit on some uh, stuff that doesn't matter, and he says, "Here, I have to admit, I side with the progressives, and I am glad." Oh, this bit's amazing. That the horrid Democrat Jackson will be replaced with a Republican heroine, Harriet Tubman, on the twenty dollar bill in twenty twenty. <laughs> Yeah, and then, hold on, that's not the end of it. That's really funny, but it's not the end. He then says, Trump, like Reagan, is a former Democrat. And I imagine his enthusiasm for Jackson is partly driven by the Democratic Party's earlier hagiography. Hey, that's a big word, Josh. He had Jackson to pay $5 for part- those words. Yeah, of Jackson, and partly by Jackson's current vilification at the hands of many left-wing progressives. Yet... Even progressives can occasionally be correct. And in this case, I think they are. It's also, so Republican heroine Harriet Tubman. Okay. Now, let's go back. Let's go back and remember when all this happened with the $20 bill, which party wanted it, and which party was really angry yep. about Andrew yep. Jackson being yep. pulled off. Oh, my yeah, God. Also, yeah, to be like, oh, yeah, Trump loves Jackson because he used to be a Democrat and not because he's Steve Bannon's spank bank material (laughs) this guy this guy who you claim is the perfect embodiment of your party and everything you want right his only fault is liking andrew jackson because he used to be a democrat that's great that's fantastic anyway the next subsection we're getting into here is called slave camps and nazi camps and in this section open with the jews are little black sambo (laughs) which is an extremely weird sentence <laughs> that's a weird place to open so it's very strange in this subsection he's going to try and say that concentration camps and uh slave plantations are the same yet for some reason he doesn't even realize that the only thing he does in this section is point out differences between the two he can't really nail down similarities right there are broad similarities because obviously they're forced to stay on the plantation or the sl- or the Nazi concentration camp, right? There's broad similarities between not having freedom. You could make the same similarities between prisons in Sweden and the U.S. They're not allowed to leave, right? But obviously they're not the same. He starts in here, like you said. He starts talking about the little black Sambo, which is his quote, and it is fantastic because what he's describing... Which is super racist. It is super racist. And if anybody, if anybody has a lawn jockey, it's probably Dinesh D'Souza. I think he probably owns one. But, uh, and let's remember, this is someone who claimed racism is dead. We'll get to that later in the chapter, but Dinesh has claimed racism is dead. <laughs> God. Uh, but what he's talking about Sorry, here... Sorry, I wasn't really... I was reading, and then I just heard you say the lawn jockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, have you ever... Uh, uh, breaking away from the book for a moment. Have you seen... Uh, documentary now the uh yeah yes it's the bill Hader and uh uh, Fre- uh uh fred armison show on uh the independent film channel uh, they did one where they did the famous documentary the war room which was about bill clinton's election uh and <laughs> there's a moment where bill Hader, who is supposed to be uh the raging cajun james carville who was, uh, of course, one of the people involved with Clinton's campaign? He, he goes to a lawn of somebody who has a a lawn uh, uh, sign for the other guy running, and puts a lawn jockey on the lawn, and then walks away. It's a lawn jockey, really? It's 1990s. 
It's so good. It's so good. But anyway, uh, he's talking about this Sambo character, right? Because he's trying to draw a comparison between those uh, Muslims who would just wander around the camps and this stereotype of the dumb slave, right? Which is the Sambo character, which is a racist stereotype. And there's an incredibly problematic point in this subsection where Dinesh seems to say that that's a true thing. And that's still existed today. I, I look, I, you, you, you brought it up before we we started recording. It's weird. <laughs> There's a line in the next. No, no, it's in the next subsection, and he like pulls a quote from some guy just for no real reason about like that. I'll read the quote when we get there. It's on. It's on page 113, and I was screaming. Okay, so he's he's going after a historian named uh, uh, Elkins. His name is Stanley Elkins. Uh, who compared uh, the the two institutions, the concentration camp and the slave camp. And what Dinesh is trying to say is Elkins never went as far as to say that uh, concentration camps and, and slavery are the same thing, right? And Dinesh says that's because Elkins didn't have enough knowledge of concentration camps. That was the reason why he didn't go that far. Dinesh, of course, being this wonderful historian yeah. and brilliant intellectual, will say that concentration camps and slave plantations are the exact same thing, despite, as I said, throughout this whole chapter, only showing how they're different. Um, yeah, basically, it's a big list of things uh, like work routines, the limits of absolute power, yeah, uh, revolts and runaways. He starts off here with the accommodations and food and says, yeah, slaves got better food than those in the concentration camps. Then he goes to work routines and says, yeah, well, the Nazi prisoners were forced to work much harder, much longer because they were trying to kill them by labor, right? Whereas the slaves, they wanted to keep them alive so they could keep doing labor to make money. And then he, the limits of absolute power, he starts, he talks about a very famous case called State v. Man, which Dinesh appears to not understand properly, uh, because it basically said, yeah, you can kill a slave if you want to. Um, yeah. So it's just weird because he, he's not even, he needs an editor. He needs a fucking editor is what I'm saying. <laughs> that's that's, that's the main thing we've learned. He doesn't understand what he's doing here. All he shows is the differences yeah. while he's claiming yeah, that. He, did, he does say democratic plantations every time, which yeah. is very funny. That's his point. Like. Yeah, and, uh, you know, geography was, as we said, way more of a feature of your support for slavery than the, the party you were in. Anyway, can we talk about the lasting legacy now? Yes, the lasting is, legacy. The that is the last so, subsection. Uh, and this is says, this is where you get your favorite part. I, uh, yeah, well, it's the worst part. Um, he, he says, so he's talking about the lasting legacy of slavery. Yeah, which, let's say, and this is another of those what the fuck one. Dinesh there moments. There obviously is one. We're like, yeah, yeah, holy shit, do you get it, Dinesh? Close, but no potatoes, Dinesh. <laughs> Um, so he, uh, he says, and this is going to be a long quote, but, uh, you know, I'm going to read it. So he says with American blacks, however, the situation is quite different. Uh, he's talking about, uh, basically why Jews today are, they don't display the characteristics of, of the, um, of the system that they yeah. were exposed yeah. to. So with American, but he says with, with American blacks, however, this is all in quotes. So please don't attribute any of this to me. <laughs> Quote: With American blacks, however, the situation is quite different. Although slavery ended in 1865, it lasted more than 200 years and had it wi its widest scope during the era of democratic supremacy in the South from the 1820s through the 1860s. That's true. That is a good point, Dinesh. Well done. 
Let's see where we go from here. <laughs> Many of the features of the old slave plantation, dilapidated housing, broken families, a high degree of violence required to keep the place together, a paucity of opportunity and advancement prospects, a widespread sense of nihilism and despair are evidence, evident in democratic-run inner cities like Oakland, Detroit, Baltimore, and Chicago. Okay, we've taken a weird hit, turn here, Dinesh. Let's see where we go next. Where we go next and is now, fantastic. Now, now we quote Orlando Patterson, who I've never heard of, but, you know, seems like a lovely chap. And he says, There was a distinct underclass of slaves, political scientist Orlando Patterson writes, quote, who lived fecklessly or dangerously. They were the incorrigible blacks of whom the slave owner class was forever complaining. They ran away. They were idle. They were compulsive liars. They seemed immune to punishment. And then comes Patterson's punchline. We can trace the underclass as a persisting social phenomenon to this group. The left doesn't like Patterson because he's a black scholar of West Indian origin with a pension for uttering politically incorrect truths. The politically incorrect truth that Dinesh is accusing this man of uttering is that there is an underclass of blacks who directly descend from the misbehaving slaves (laughs) can you imagine throwing that into your book and being like yes this is a good point this is this is my this is my chapter ending point why is that even in there what are you doing with your entire existence orlando patterson he even got it wrong he's a sociologist not a political scientist uh it, it was a professor at Harvard, right? Harvard University. And so these, you know, of course, as Dinesh likes to point out, all universities are left-wing socialist utopias where they don't allow right-wing speech in. So yeah, that's one true. of the, the best the best university in the United States, according to many people, they're wrong. It's UC Berkeley, uh, <laughs> hired Orlando Patterson to teach there. And, of course, Dinesh yeah. claimed the left, they hate this guy. They don't like him. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Harvard. Oh. Harvard. Harvard got him. So, yeah. So, and also, like, he busts out those FBI crime stats when they, you know, bust those out when you need them, homie. That's you, <laughs> good there. This is, this is the what the fuck moment. This is not the what the fuck moment. This is the what the fuck moment where you go, Dinesh. No, 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 no. That was well, the that what was, the that fuck was, but moment. This, this, but uh, then it leads to the a, moment I'm about to talk to about. It. Uh, is this yeah. what the fuck moment? Where it's like where Dinesh. he agrees with W. E. B. Du Bois. It's like Dinesh. Do you understand? Has us screaming it at you for this long finally broken through your skull? And you get it because he writes. Certainly, both institutions have been defeated in war and permanently shut down. He's talking about Nazi concentration camps and slave plantations. Even so, the legacy of one of them lives on. While the Nazi legacy in Germany is more. In Germany is largely a matter of memory. The democratic slave owners, of course, legacy in America still leaves its ugly scars on the lives of many African Americans. And it's like, Dinesh, you get it. That's yes. what we've been saying. That's why we're trying to fix shit, you dumb fuck. Uh, yeah. Oh my god. It's, very good. it's, it's beautiful. Really and that good. is the end uh, of chapter four. This that one is the end of the big life. Oh, it is it has been just horrific. This I this was We're the worst halfway through a big life. You're right. For me, I don't know about the worst chapter so far. This is the most boring chapter so far. Yeah. Because he true. didn't really deal Hopefully with much. Our audience didn't feel that. Yeah. I guess. I hope we can make it a little more entertaining.
Without Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.